0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our joy and privilege to always uh, welcome you to be part of this program. And uh, please stay with us as we are going through the book of Genesis and this time uh, learning about one of my favorite characters in the Bible, Joseph. But I'd like to introduce the panel uh, for today. Will, it's good to have you with us.
1: Thank you, Nick. He's one of my favourites as well.
0: I look forward to it. Lija, it's good to have you joining us.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I feel very blessed every time I study God's Word.
0: And Ken, thank you for joining.
3: Thank you, Nick. It's wonderful to be here again and enjoy these wonderful
4: stories out of Genesis.
0: Joe, welcome to the programme.
4: Thank you, Nick. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, as always.
0: And Len. Thank you for being part of this and uh, thank you for uh, putting together this study and um, facilitating today. It's over to you. Please take us through. Well, I appreciate the welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. Well,
5: so far in Genesis, among other things, we've studied the lives of three of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob all of whom received and believed the promises of God. And now we come to the life of Joseph. That's Jacob's, or later he was called Israel, his favorite son. While Joseph's forebears made serious mistakes in their lives, Joseph was a man of complete integrity. As a teenager, he determined to obey God and to be faithful to him. And although he had to suffer much for his faithfulness, yet he was richly rewarded in the end. Joseph was ultimately responsible for saving the lives of his parent and siblings with their families and thousands of other people. You know, there are two major points that stand out in this study. Firstly, God fulfills his promises, and secondly, God can turn evil into good. Joseph is one of two outstanding Old Testament characters whose lifestyles, diligence, integrity and faithfulness is exemplary. So today we're going to examine the life of Joseph. First, however, we would like you to join us in prayer before unwrapping this interesting and exciting part of Scripture. So, Ken, would you pray for us, the panel, and the listeners?
3: Certainly, Liam. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. You have given us to share Your Word over the air. Guide us, Father, as we look into the lessons Your Word has for all who would search it out, Lord. The Bible is a goldmine of information for past and present times. You have made it available to everyone that wants to know what happened in the past and what is coming upon the earth at present. You have laid everything out, even to the day of the return of Jesus, which is coming soon. Father, guide all those who are searching for the truth and those who see no future for this world. Many Christians know things are going to get worse before they get better. But we know the soon return of Jesus is going to bring an end to all the problems this world has. Father, help us all to warn those that do not know Jesus that there's a great future just around the corner for all who accept Jesus as their saviour. Amen.
5: Thank you, Ken. Well, we need to understand understand the setting of the story. So this is found in Genesis 37, 1-4. to Will, would you like to lead us into this study of Joseph?
1: Certainly. Jacob and his family were now living in the land of Canaan, and uh, Joseph was a 17-year-old boy, and he and his brothers all shepherded the large flocks of Jacob, their father. The Bible plainly says, however, that Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other children. For the favorite son, of course, the uh, father made a multicolored coat, the kind that was normally worn by persons of distinction. And understandably, this made his brothers more jealous of him. In fact, the Bible tells us that they could just not speak peaceably to him. And this jealousy, even hatred, would weigh heavily against him, as our story then will unfold.
5: All right, well, one would ask the question then, was Joseph's home life a happy one?
2: Joseph had actually a a very good life as a teenager, as a youth in his father's home, in spite of the fact that he was... His parents' favorite, his father's favorite, and uh, the jealousy of his brothers. The fact that Joseph grew up in the tents and uh, he was a very obedient child to his father. He was told all the stories from the patriarchs before him. And he had a very special relationship with God. He trusted God since as a young boy. He trusted God and he he loved God with all his heart. And because of the hatred of his brothers, he was not affected. He was just connected with God. He had a strong cord with God and he trusted in him.
5: Well, that's wonderful that Joseph and his father and Joseph and God got on well. But we would have to say that Joseph's home life was definitely not harmonious. You know, with all these things that we read from the Bible, there are lessons to be learned by us and in our time. Panel, is there anything that we can learn today from Joseph's home
0: life? Yes, Nick. just one uh, thing which I want to point out Lijar mentioned that um, uh, Joseph, he didn't take to heart all the hardship which he experienced. I think that was yeah, that's very important because uh, it's not that uh, popular uh, today to stay cool, to say so. <laughs> to, um, people react. People are unhappy the way other people treat them. I think that's a very strong... Uh, point here that he was connected with God and God was with him, leading him. Yes, thank you. Yes, Will. Jacob was
1: showing favoritism to Joseph and he had experience of this himself because his father, Isaac, gave preferential treatment to his brother Esau above him and his mother, however, had placed Joseph above Esau. You know, this tug of war of emotions is no good for a family, Len. In fact, the New Testament, the Bible tells us in James, James 2, chapter 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same chapter, verse 9, he says, show no partiality, it is sin. My answer to your question, Lynn, was is that while uh, he was the favourite son, I don't think Joseph was entirely happy. He must have sensed the tension in the house. And I think the lesson for us all today is that we should treat everybody equally.
5: Yes, that's good counsel, I think. All right, well mm. I believe that it's not good where we have favorites with our children and my wife and I have tried to treat all our children equally. Can then Joe?
3: I think one of the important lessons, and I see in this story is the fact that this was just a normal, everyday family. There wasn't anything particularly special about them. They're just everyday people, the same as we are today.
5: Okay. What would you like to add, Joe?
4: Well, I think that, yes, they were, but just an ordinary family. You're right there, Ken. But I think God expected more from them because of their privileged association with him and i think that the lesson for us to learn is that our general happiness is closely linked to our connection with god and there were some terrible things that happened in the life of jacob and i'd just like to read a little quote and it comes from patriarchs and prophets and says there were false gods in the camp and idolatry had to some extent gained a foothold even in his household. That's referring to Jacob's. And so the influence of the surrounding nations had crept in and, you know, there was polygamy, there was the favoritism, there were jealousies and rivalry. Um, and I just don't know, I don't know how Joseph managed to stay unblemished in such a quite a hostile environment it's really, um, by God's grace, I guess, I believe. But, um, I think our own happiness is linked with how closely do we walk with God? If we make choices that are not pleasing to God, then we're destined to, you know, be unhappy and cause unhappiness to other people. So I think the closer we walk with God, the better for us and others. Yes, Lucia?
2: Another reason of, uh Joseph's brothers to be jealous of him, or ha- actually hate, hated him, was the fact that Joseph was serving God, but his brothers were doing all the wicked things around that you can do. And Joseph was bringing bad reports to his father about his brothers, and probably there were big disputes over there in a, in a home. And because of that, they started hated him.
5: Yes, it's a possibility that because Joseph was the privileged son, he may have been a, a little bit cocky, a little bit overbearing
0: with his brothers. Yes, Nick? We just uh, try to resent as the Bible actually allows that. Uh, a little bit on behalf of Joseph, let's say, uh, because he showed, indeed, a very different uh, character as we are going to to learn as we go through his story. And Joe was mentioning that um, it's hard to even understand how he could stand for his beliefs in a family, in a dysfunctional family like that. And I think that's the good lesson which we can take from the Bible, that we should not just excuse our behavior or our way of doing things in life just because we are surrounded by these wicked things or because culturally we are in one or other uh, kind of uh, sort of influence. I think Mm -hmm. this is a very good example that if you are connected with a source of life, with God who's guiding you and leading you, you can go through all the hardship and difficulties.
5: Okay, well, we've got a pretty good um, setting now for the rest of the story. Now, it was said that the brothers hated Joseph. Something happened that added fuel to the fire of their hatred. What was that, Joe?
4: Well, Joseph was given a dream, which either in his perplexity Or in his childish excitement, he relayed to his brothers who may have found it interesting and dismissed it with a laugh had the home situation been different. But in that particular home context, they found it particularly distasteful and made them very angry and fueled the hatred of him. So the dream was, it says in the Bible in verse 5, Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words.
5: Little did they know that this would actually happen later on. But we can't spill all the beans right now. Okay, so Joseph told this dream about the sheaves standing up and worshipping his sheaf, and they applied it to him. But that wasn't all.
0: He had another dream. And what happened in this one, Nick? I mean, then in the same chapter uh, 37, if we look at verses uh, 9 to 11, he relates another dream, which is very similar to what Joe was uh, describing a bit earlier. At this time, the dream is that uh, say that the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down before him, and he shared this with the brothers first, and then probably the brothers told the father, and then he shared again with the you know with the father and the brothers, and said, what's this? I mean, do you insinuate that uh, we all will bow before you, will serve you? And it's interesting that here yeah, it's a thing which uh, really is really interesting that says that the mother and the, the father and then the rest of the brothers all will uh, bow before you. Even the way Jacob is putting those things, it's a very interesting uh, lesson.
5: Okay, well... That added further fuel to the fire, of course. And we read in Genesis 37, verse 11, says his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Or well, some versions may say his father kept the matter in his heart or hid the matter in his heart. What do you think that particular phrase there means? Well,
1: Joseph's father, Jacob, had himself received many dreams and revelations from God. He knew that there were great promises ahead for the family. So we can suggest that amidst the distrust in the family over the authenticity of the dreams of Joseph, uh, he just knew, that is the father, just knew by the inspiration of God that what was revealed to his son was no fantastical uh, imaginings. Uh, I believe that the old father, Len, instead of going into conjecture about the meaning of the revelations, just chose to hide the matter deep in his heart and leave the fulfillment to God himself. In fact, I found, interestingly, that the same terminology is used later of Mary, the mother of Jesus, being told that her child would be the savior of the world. What a prophetic statement. Wow. This is not something you just go around talking about. Instead, the Bible says she hid those things in her heart until a fuller understanding of these revelations would come in God's time. So Jacob, while keeping quiet about the matter, would just wait for the dreams to play out in reality.
5: Yes, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jacob didn't recall when he was still a young man fleeing from his brother Esau at the place named Bethel, had this dream where God revealed himself to Jacob to reassure him he was with him. And I suppose he thought, maybe the same thing is happening with my son. God has has prepared or is preparing something great for him. And so there we have Joseph truthful, honest, forthright, who came from a home with a doting father and with jealous older brothers who resented and hated him. That's the background of what happened later. Well, we have some fantastic things that happened Mm -hmm. when Joseph was sent out to check on his brothers and check on the flock. Joe, this is found in Genesis 37, verses 12 to 36. Now, I don't expect you to read it all because we haven't got time enough, but would you just like to tell us in your own words what happened now?
4: I'll tell it in the best that I can. (laughs) The brothers were out herding the flocks of sheep moving from one green pasture to another and would be away for extended periods of time. So Jacob would send Joseph off to check on how things were going and bring back report, and that's been mentioned. This time they were at Shechem. Now, we might remember from our discussion last week that there was a a bloody massacre there instigated by Simeon and Levi in the incident involving Dinah, hence Jacob's concern about their welfare. Well, Joseph set off, and he did find them eventually. In fact, they spied him coming in the distance wearing his princely coat, and hatred burned within them yet again. This hatred, as Will mentioned, was so bad that they couldn't even speak nicely to each other. Well, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into the, into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Now, Reuben, the eldest, heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Look, let us not kill him. Let's shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him. And now he said this so that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father later when all that all the angst had cooled down a bit. So this is what happened. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his uh, tunic that was on him, and then they took him and cast him into a pit. Now, this pit was a dry water cistern or well, but deep enough that Joseph couldn't get out without assistance from the top. And then they sat down to have lunch. Now, these might have been goodies from home sent by the father for them. And while they were eating, they noticed a camel train of Ishmaelite traders on their way to Egypt approaching, and Judah had a great idea. So he said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And so Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites for the agreed price of 20 shekels, probably the equivalent of approximately $300 in today's value. So each brother got a princely sum of two shekels or $30. <laughs> and we need say no more about that. And so the Ishmaelites continued on their way. Now, Reuben returned later to the pit. And when Joseph was not there, he was very, very upset. Um, and he says, like, the Lord, the lad is no more. And I, where shall I go? What shall I do? So his plan to rescue him had failed. So they hatched a plan. They took Joseph's tunic. They killed a baby goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know where whether it is your son's or not? Well, one can only imagine the pain. It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces and he mourned for his son many days and he refused to be comforted, for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. And thus his father wept for him and was inconsolable. Meanwhile, the Midianites took Joseph to the slave market where Joseph was sold. Okay,
5: well, that was very eruditely explained, Joe. Thank you for that. So here's Joseph going from the favourite and favoured son, and now he's a slave and being torn away from his people. It's interesting how the brothers never associated themselves with Joseph. In their wording, when they took the blood-stained garment back to Jacob, they said, um, is this your son's robe? They didn't say, is this our brother's robe? No, they disassociated themselves. However, God had a plan. Well, I think God had a plan. Joseph, privileged, now certainly underprivileged. What do you think, panel? Was this part of God's plan or was this just an event that happened that God used to... uh, to bring about a positive result. Yes, Will? I think
1: we must never make God part of the deceptive element of this whole story. God is a way of turning uh, bad things into good, but he doesn't uh, let it run in an evil way. You know, Jacob's sons in the story try to hide the deception, and they tell a lie that Joseph was dead to their father. You know, I would never make God responsible for any part of the deceptive charade. In fact, one writer gives an intense view of the shock that followed. She says, um, Jacob's sons were not prepared for the heart-rending anguish, the utter abandonment of grief, which they were compelled to witness. It is my son's coat, said Jacob, as um, Joe had read. An evil beast has devoured him. Jacob is without Doubt rent in pieces. And vainly his sons and daughters attempt to comfort him. Um, he rends his clothes and puts sackcloth on his loins, the Bible says, and mourns for his son many days. And even as time pasts, past goes past, no soothing comes for Jacob's grief. I will go down into the grave unto my son. Mourning was his desperate cry. And uh, the young men, terrified at what they had done, yet dreading their father's reproaches still hid in their own hearts the knowledge of their guilt, which even to themselves seemed very, very great. You know, what I'm saying, Len, is never, never make God a part of this sort of conniving. God turns bad things into good.
5: Okay. And I guess it's a bit like this with revenge. The best part of revenge is planning it. Having... um, Done what you might want to do to somebody you want to teach a lesson afterwards it's not as sweet as you first imagined. Anybody else like to comment on this?
0: You may wonder about this story why we're going into those details. How much that parallel with Jesus? Even if we look at just few things there being sold on a price, by his brother Judah, which probably had a good intention not to see him killed, at least to sell it. But another Judah sold uh, Jesus Christ, even believing that he could rescue himself. And uh, the coat dipped in blood, you know, the soldiers at the cross, they also tossed for that coat of Jesus, which was dipped in blood too. It's a lot of similarity there in between Joseph and our Lord Jesus Christ. And the story is here because as Joseph, as we'll see further on, it was in favor of the whole family. Whatever bad happened to him, that's exactly what happened with Jesus. And we need to consider that. Looking at this story and apply in our life also, what Jesus did for us. It's a very wonderful parallel. Yes, that's
5: very true, Nick. And uh, as it turned out, Joseph was a saviour, just as Jesus is a saviour, but in a different sense. All right, let's move on. Well, Ken, in Egypt, at the slave market, who bought Joseph and how did Joseph serve his new master?
3: Well, we read then in Genesis 39, verses 1 to 6. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had was put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So here we see not only Joseph was blessed, but the house and land of his master, Potiphar, was blessed by the Lord. Something that Potiphar recognized and I'm sure was very happy about. And this was no small thing for a slave to be in charge of an Egyptian's house and lands.
5: Yes, I think it's very interesting what the Bible says, that the Lord was with Joseph, and that affected his master, Potiphar, an Egyptian. Um, I have also read, and I would like to just add this, Joseph on his way down to Egypt, it would have been many days and he would have been thinking about his future, made a pact with himself and God that he would be faithful. And that faithfulness shows up in his servitude of this um, very important man, Potiphar. The Bible also says that Potiphar lived, uh, sorry, Joseph lived in Potiphar's house, not in servant's quarters at the back. Something happened later on because uh, Joseph was probably in service of Potiphar for about 10 years. Something happened which brought about a complete change in Joseph's life. Will, would you like to share that with us?
1: Yes, I'm referring to Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time um, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, "Um, He has kept nothing back from me except you, Because you are his wife, how can I then do this great wickedness and sin against God? Basically, Len and panel, what's happening here is the wife of Potiphar actually made several attempts, Scripture tells us, to seduce the handsome young Joseph. But the Bible has many warnings against unsanctioned intimacy, and Joseph's example of a strict integrity amidst what could have seemingly have been a path of unbridled lust is a lesson for us all to take to heart. And here we find a sterling example of maintaining composure against temptation, a good resolve, I believe, for us all to follow.
5: Well, here we've got a very important issue. And the issue is principle or expediency, doing what is right or to gratify one's own desires. Now I just wonder if any of you just perhaps one of you may have an instance where you chose principle over expediency. Does anybody have anybody have anything to share on this point? Well I would like to share one then. The stage when I was a professional photographer, I had a major contract where I would take pictures of graduation. Graduations in the Festival Theatre in Adelaide. The uh, institution that I was working for decided to change those graduation ceremonies from a weekday to a Saturday. And this brought about uh, a conflict because I wanted to obey the Lord and keep the seventh day holy. Well the upshot of it was I advertised the position for another photographer to come along and do what I would have done. One chap spoke to me and he said you're mad. Well, I told him how much he could earn and it wasn't and it wasn't a small sum of money he could earn at least $5000 just for one day's work. He said you're mad. But I got somebody else to do it. And then straight after that, the institution I was working for said, no, we don't want to do this anymore. We're going back to weekday. Now, I could have, with, without the knowledge of anybody, have done that job. But in this case, God blessed me because the other photographer didn't do a particularly good job. And so the college decided to go back to where they were. Ken?
3: And I I just wanted to quickly add to that. I had a similar situation many years ago. Um, I was going for a new job, was changing trades, and the owner of the business was talking to me and said, this is what's involved and so on and so forth. And he mentioned something about a Saturday. And I said to him, "I'm sorry, I can't work on Saturdays at all. And he said, oh, okay, why is that? So I was able to have a witness to him. And uh, that was a number of years ago, and we're still friends today. And recently, a couple of weeks back, he got in touch with me and said, look, Ken, uh, we've got some spare work available. Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, well, i will be interested in having a look, sure. He says, well, on Saturday we want to do X, Y, and a Z. And I said, sorry, unfortunately, that's my Sabbath, and I don't work on the Sabbath.
5: Yes, okay. Well, anyhow, Joseph, Uh, Here he was um, being tempted by Potiphar's wife and Joseph said, I can't, I'm not part of this because that's breaking God's commandments. What happened then that landed him in prison, Ken? Well, we read in Genesis 39 and verses
3: 11 to 20 about this time Joseph went into the house to do his work And none of the men of the house were inside, That she, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice and it happened when he heard it. I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept the garment with her until her master came home, the husband. Then she spoke to him with the words like saying, this Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words with his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison.
5: Yes, Will.
1: There, no, there would no doubt have been no mercy shown to a person found guilty of an adulterous relationship with a spouse of a ruler. The fact that Joseph was not sentenced to death tells me that Potiphar had his doubts about the real circumstances surrounding the appeals of his wife. But, uh, yeah, we are introduced to an interesting study as to why the innocent sometimes have to suffer for simply maintaining their integrity, as, of course, our story will later play out.
5: Yes, Joseph was between a rock and a hard place, really. Had he uh, had sexual relations with Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar found out, well, then he would have been in, in trouble, in big
0: trouble, and because he did not, he was still in trouble. Nick? It is quite a bit of a disturbing story there, and uh, to look at this that over a lie, this innocent man suffered. So badly. I'd like to point out something interesting here. Even though Joseph came from a dysfunctional family and even his own father, he had that experience of uh, intimate relationships with more than one woman, at least four in the, in the Bible. I wonder how was he able to stand tall in this situation. And this shows again a closer relationship with God. He must have known what is right and what is wrong, not being under the cultural pressure as we can be today when uh, certain parts of, of, uh, you know, even immorality is not that much uh, a big deal. I think this is a very good lesson to to learn, and to apply in our life. Yes, Kate.
3: I think one of the things that stands out in this uh, particular story we're reading is the fact that innocent people, and Christians included, still have issues and problems that are often out of their hands, and this can make it extremely difficult at times to keep your faith. If you're having a really difficult time, you wonder what's going on here, why is God letting this happen? And this is where your faith really Comes into play.
5: Yes, when you really suffer a test, I found this um, line which I had known but sort of forgotten. William Congreve wrote a play in 1697, and this is just a part of what he said: "Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned." And in this case, part of his wife, she. Um, it was, it certainly wasn't out of love that she wanted to uh, have sexual relations with Joseph. It was out of lust.
2: Joseph showed here moral earnestness and firmness. He learned to live in God's presence since a very early age and he applied God's principle in every day of his life. So he showed integrity and Potiphar. I don't think Potiphar believed his wife because he knew Joseph after so many years being in his household and trusted him every bit of his house. I don't think he believed uh, his wife because he, he knew the character of his wife and he knew the character of Joseph that he showed integrity in every bit of his life.
5: Yes, I think that's very important. Okay, well, Lydia, you can keep going with the story. Joseph was in prison. What happened there?
2: Yes. After this incident, Joseph was placed in prison and uh, God was a present help and his spirit a shield for Joseph. Joseph placed his reputation and interest in his hand, in the hands of God and God made made the prison actually the way of his elevation. Although he was suffered to be afflicted uh, for a time in prison to prepare him to fill uh, an important position, yet God safely awarded that reputation that was blackened by a wicked accuser and afterward in his own good time caused it to shine. So the virtue will in time bring its own reward. Uh, even the prisoners in prison saw in Joseph's character, the way he talked, the way he behaved, the way he acted with the prisoners gained their hearts and he was elevated even in the prison.
5: Yes, that's a uh- Joseph served faithfully in Potiphar's house. And here he was in prison. And he was elevated, if uh, you like, to sub supervisor or something like that. And everything that Joseph did seemed to go well. And the Bible keeps saying, because God was with Joseph. The reason is that he was faithful and obeyed God. Well, Ken. While he was in prison, two new prisoners came in. Both of them were government officials, pharaohs, butler and baker. And while they were there, each had a dream to which Joseph gave the correct interpretations. Was Joseph a clairvoyant?
3: Well, then I'll quickly summarize this. No, Joseph certainly wasn't clairvoyant. But I'm sure the two people, the two officials, were really impressed when he told them the dream and thinking he he has some special powers. But Joseph did not take any credit for interpreting the dreams. Rather, he told the officials that this interpretation came from God and God had blessed him by telling him what the dreams were. So he took no credit for himself at all.
5: Yes, yes, he could have. But no, he recognized that he was a servant of God too. Well, now the uh, butler and the baker had told their dreams and Joseph correctly gave them the answer because God revealed to him what the answer was. The baker was actually uh, killed later on and the cupbearer or the butler was reinstated. However, the butler or the cupbearer, working for the king or the pharaohs, they call them in Egypt, the butler completely forgot, put into the background of his mind that Joseph had correctly interpreted his dream. But two years later, something happened, and it was one of those uh-oh moments where the butler realized he had forgotten something very important, will. Would you like to briefly explain what happened?
1: Pharaoh himself actually had a dream. And um, <clears throat> when he sought somebody to interpret the dream, the butler suddenly realised that, uh, well, there is somebody. He interpreted my dream some years ago. And the dream that uh, the Bible tells us that that the... Uh, Pharaoh dreamt, was Pharaoh dreamt that he was standing by the Nile and there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. Then seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them. The thin cows uh, ate the seven attractive and plump cows and Pharaoh awoke. Then he falls asleep again, the Bible says, and he dreams a second time. Seven ears of grain plump and good, were growing on one stalk, and after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plumpful ears. And Pharaoh awakes, and his spirit was troubled, the Bible says. And he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, and uh, they, there was none that could interpret them to Pharaoh.
5: This reminds me of what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar, where he couldn't even remember the dream. At least Pharaoh remembered the dream. Now, it's interesting that Joseph, in his youth, had a double dream with the same meaning. Here, Pharaoh had a double dream with the same meaning. Well, the butler remembered what was uh, that. Uh, Joseph gave him the correct interpretation of his dream. So he then um, recommended Joseph to the king. So, Nick, Joseph was summoned to appear before the king. What did he reveal about interpreting dreams?
0: Lenia, this is a beautiful passage again in uh, Genesis chapter 41, and I would like to read verse 15 and maybe respond a bit on verse 16. It says here, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Very interesting uh, recommendation there. And uh, even believe in Joseph that he can do this. And I like the reply of Joseph in verse 16, which says, "So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Even though all those people uh, recommended uh, Joseph, and Joseph may shared with in the prison with the people there about his own dreams, as was mentioned here. And he had the gift of interpretation because he offered himself to interpret some dreams there in the prison. But right here, he is pointing out to God because it's, it's a very serious matter and uh, we may have dreams and sometimes we may think that they are very significant dreams for some other people may not be like that but what I like to point out here is that when he was asked that his ego may rise, that he will be elevated, that he will be now put in a position of uh, Authority and, and just, just credibility, if you like, because he was wrongly accused. The temptation was there to really say, okay, and this is the moment now to really rescue myself from all the trouble. But he's pointing out to God. And this is very important. This is probably the most important lesson which we can take from this uh, study about Joseph, that he was pointing to God. And indeed, God revealed to him The dream, the interpretation, and he was able to please even Pharaoh with his dream because Pharaoh believed fully in him. And we'll see in the next bit what's the outcome. Yes,
5: just quickly, um, Joseph pointed out to Pharaoh that Egypt was going to have seven years of bountiful harvest. Everything would be good, and then that would be countered by seven years of famine and drought. It was interesting that Joseph didn't stop just there. But he said to the king, well, he said to Pharaoh, you need to put somebody in charge to collect the grain and uh, fodder and so on that's needed during those seven years in order to distribute it during the seven bad years. Now, here he was, a prisoner. Speaking to the king, and you rightly said, Nick, that the Pharaoh believed Joseph. And um, regardless of uh, what happened with regard to the uh, with regard to the appointment of a suitable overseer of the grain collection and so on, I want to ask a question. Ken, would you like to respond to this? Is it appropriate? to advise or counsel someone of greater authority than you regarding how they conduct their business or organisation. Is that appropriate or isn't it?
3: Well, Len, over the years, many learned people have been advised by others who may not have been as smart as they were. However, the people giving them advice have had more common sense and wisdom or had more practical knowledge as they had hands-on experience, as in the case of some who sit at a drawing board and design something. But when it comes to the product being fitted or serviced, those who actually work on the product see where it goes and how it works in place. So, yes, I think it is appropriate in many times.
5: Yes, good ideas are worth sharing. Well, we can see that in Joseph's life, he gave God the credit He obeyed God. He was a good witness for God. And as we'll find out in our following week's study, and I hope you join us, listeners, how Joseph, uh, under God's uh, guidance, uh, used him in a remarkable way to save the lives of many, many people. Next week, we'll see who the pharaoh appointed as overseer. You know, Joseph's story is one of from privilege to poverty and then to position and power. But one thing stands out, because Joseph set his mind to do what is right, to be faithful to the Lord despite some uncomfortable moments in his life. God blessed him abundantly. As what happened with Joseph, you may face situations that test your faith and fidelity. And here's my recommendation to you. Let Joseph's example become your life formula. And that is, though the heavens fall, I'll be faithful to God and his principles. And if you study the life of Joseph and apply it to yourself, there are some very good lessons to be learned. Well, we've come to the end and we must stop. Thank you for joining us today. But before we go, Joe is going to pray for us all.
4: Father, thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for all the ways that it applies to us today. Help us too to be faithful to you always. We see that we can trust you even when things aren't going right that you can bring much good out of even the poor choices that we make or unpleasant situations with situations we sometimes find ourselves in. Help us to always trust you and lean on you for wisdom and by your grace become more like Jesus. This is our prayer. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. This is uh, indeed a very beautiful story and it will continue. In part two, from a young man, Joseph uh, mistreated, but staying faithful to God, he is being rewarded. And we are going to learn in the next uh, Bible study about Joseph, the prince of Egypt. Until then, may God richly bless you, and you continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.
6: Oh for a closer walk with God I can heavenly frame I light to shine upon the road leading to the land Blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord. Where is that so refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? Sweet